0: Hi, my name is Luis Gonzalez, I'm a lawyer from Caracas, Venezuela and I'll be hosting Tales from Postmodernia. The podcast's objective is basically to talk about politics and talk about political ideas flowing throughout society. The podcast is unscripted and completely, well, free-flowing as you can probably tell right now. It's called Tales from Postmodernia because, not because I believe that we currently find ourselves in a postmodern age but because postmodern ideas seem to be taking stronger and stronger hold in our society especially in academia and our cultural institutions or rather our cultural industry really. So I don't want to get too bogged down in how postmodernism started. Suffice to say for long story short that it gained traction in the 1930s and 1940s Italy, it became very popular then in France in the 1950s and 1960s. It was originally an artistic movement, it was, a, it was a current of thought applied to artistic analysis. But in the 60s, and particularly in France, a group of, well, elite French intellectuals decided to apply postmodern thought to the real world, away from the art. They applied a postmodern analysis. So what what basically constituted postmodernism? Well it's its central kind of tenet that you can identify from the works of the postmodernist writers is a serious radical skepticism of all sorts of of, of, of all sorts of narratives, of any sort of meta-narrative, and an idea that objective truth Simply cannot be attained, no matter how hard we search. Postmodernism's strongest influential minds include people like Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida, Jean-Jacques Lyotard, Jean Baudrillard, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some others. Oh well, you could throw in Jacques Lacan as well. He studied—I'm pretty sure he studied psychology, though. It wasn't Wasn't really central to the whole artistic side of postmodernism that some of these other members were were very involved with. Their ideas about truth and and about how we can never really know anything for sure strike a kernel of truth. It's true that we can't really be 100% sure that we know things. We can be 99% sure. We have ways of confirming what we believe to be true. And the central, the main way we have is the scientific method. However, these guys had some criticisms for the scientific method and for any sort of idea that truth can actually be known. You see, for Michel Foucault, truth did exist. There was an objective reality. But he believed we could never really attain it. It existed far away from us and we could never reach it. We could never study it up close. He believed in the power of language the power of how we shape the world by talking about it he believed strongly that we were shackled by subjectivity that we were the prisoners of our own biases now everyone everyone knows that humans are influenced by their own subjectivity that we are hostage to our biases that's very clear it's not only common knowledge but it's also been studied rather deeply in psychology but for Foucault, it was very worrying because that meant that you could, well, never know anything. And if you could never know anything, then you couldn't really act. And Foucault wanted to act. He wanted to act against systems of power that he identified in society. Or, well, at least, not to give him too much credit, at least he thought he identified in society. And these systems of power were created by, by everyone. They were created not only by the people who benefit from the systems, but by common people, even the people who suffer the consequences of the system. Because Foucault didn't see power as something that the top-down oppressors apply on us. He saw it as a horizontal grid, something that permeates every aspect of society and human relationships. He believed power was the most important part of human relationships, the main power, that everything we do is for power, because we want more of it. He saw knowledge as power. He saw language as the expression of knowledge, and therefore he saw language as power. He saw it as powerful. He saw language as creating and upholding systems of power that, well, obviously any system of power creates the powerful and creates those who are oppressed by the powerful so he believed we had to fight these systems however because of the way he saw power as horizontal and unconscious and because of this idea that we can never really know anything he believed we could never dismantle those systems he believed that we were doomed Postmodernism was very nihilistic about its chances at the start That's probably why it died down in academia after Foucault stopped writing. In the end, there were people who found a way around Foucault's nihilism, his desperation that things would not go anywhere, that his idea would just remain in the realm of theoretical. But we'll talk about them later. For now, we have to consider other people from the original movement, like, for example, Jacques Derrida, who, like Foucault, saw power as a grid, as a horizontal, as everywhere. But Derrida was even more obsessed with language than Foucault. He was was truly, truly centered on this idea that language will create power and language determines how the world works. And it's easy to see again how his ideas can catch on to society. There is a very common expression regarding things that you know aren't known about if if something isn't known about then well might as well not exist so the things we exclude from conversation they can suffer real life consequences so if there are problems society doesn't talk about that it hides away well then those are real life consequences so it's easy to see how to derrida his ideas were incredible they He had identified this issue in society, that language was the most important thing, that it determines reality. And Jean-Jacques Lyotard threw his hat into the ring here with this idea. And he, he basically formulated that science is itself nothing more than words, really, if you think about it. He, in fact, described it as a language game. He saw language as one way of knowing not some sort of supreme way of legitimizing knowledge no it was just it was just one way of legitimizing knowledge it was the way of of scientists well and since Foucault saw power and language so intricately connected he believed that the way we spoke about science gave it power so if we said science was supreme then science was supreme, so who said science was supreme? Well, scientists, of course, they benefit from being considered ultimate authorities. So here you go. Here you have their ideas, starting to tear at the basis of knowledge. It's been described by uh, god uh an evolutionary psychologist, as as postmodernism as an attack on the epistemology of truth. You now, epistemology is basically the study of knowing. So the epistemology of truth is how we know that we know things so once we delegitimize science we we lose our ability to to well legitimize knowledge we lose our ability to know anything for sure so as everyone knows science has many disciplines many areas of study well To people like Foucault and Lyotard, these weren't really areas of human knowledge. They were just the way we spoke about certain things. So physics, chemistry, mathematics, well, none of that is real to them. All of these are just games, language games, as Lyotard called them. Physics is, well, the way that we speak about physics. It's not actually real-life physics. It's not true they were made by the people who made physics. They were made in the way that those people decided they were going to benefit from their knowledge of physics or well, their so-called knowledge of physics. And it's clearly an, an assault on, 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 on well, society at large, if you think about it. And what we get from this is, is, is what Foucault called these, uh, these areas of discipline. He referred to them as discourses. Now, by that, he meant the way we speak about things, basically. So there is a physics discourse. And the particular physics discourse that is held up as, you know, the standard, well, to someone like Foucault, it would just be one physics discourse. And it would be, in this case, the Western physics discourse. You see, this allows many different physics to exist, many different sets. Not, no one is better than the other one. Lyotard focused on this a lot, on the idea of local knowledge being lost against the universal, the universal being science. So they believe that, for example, Pakistan can have its own physics and Russia has its own physics and Peru has its own physics. And, well, you can't really say which is better because, well, you can't know. There's no objectivity. You can't measure them. This is patently insane. You cannot live like this. This idea, this ideology has no practical function in society. If physics aren't objective, then bridges fall down, planes crash, trains don't get to where they're going on time. It, It would, nothing would work if physics, if our models of physics were just completely subjective and utterly wrong. Just completely susceptible to people changing them as they will. But this is a very important characteristic of postmodernism, cultural relativism. Each culture has its own ideas, its own sciences, its own discourses, and all of them are equally valid. So, to get a bit more controversial then, that would mean that the way that people in tribal and rural Afghanistan see rape is equally as valid as the way that the West sees it, which Pretty sure i don't need to have describe how many tribal areas of afghanistan treat women who are victims of rape it's very different to the way they would be treated in countries like canada and the united states but to them this is all equally valid there isn't a correct way of treating women who are victims of heinous crimes because well it's cultural relativism this also focuses a lot on the idea of social constructivism If nothing is objective, then everything is made up by each individual society. Each culture has its own games, its own language games. Now, there obviously is some level of social conditioning in everything. Everyone can recognize that. People can be conditioned. We are social animals. We adapt to society. We adapt to what we see. It's a trait of evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biology. But... These guys believed that everything was just socially constructed. These ideas will take much stronger hold down the years, past the 60s. It will become pretty intense in the 80s and 90s. There will be many different disciplines in academia, which will base their entire studies around postmodernism. Some of these disciplines are very famous. You've heard of them. They're very well known nowadays, be it Post colonial studies or disability studies, fat studies, queer theory, gender studies, the modern versions of intersectional feminism, they all owe their intellectual basis to postmodernism. A lot of people from these new disciplines, which uh, Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay call applied postmodernism, a lot of these people would not consider themselves postmodernists maybe for example Judith Butler famously doesn't consider herself a postmodernist but as we'll talk about later her ideas her work is completely rooted in postmodernity there 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 isn't a chance that you can separate her from postmodernism that is her ideological basis that's that's where that's her starting point so A lot of these people have gained a lot of traction over the years with their very strong ideas that have worked their way into the mainstream. A lot of these modern ideas have a lot of problems, not only from a scientific point of view, but just from the point of view of consequences to society. They are bad ideas. Not all of them, of course, but many of them are, and we'll tackle each of them a bit more in depth in other episodes and we'll see how those bad ideas can end up killing people and causing a lot of harm to a lot of people all over the world. One last thing before we wrap up. Postmodernism, like I said at the start, is radically skeptical. Skeptical of any claims to truth. They're very critical of meta-narratives. Meta-narratives are, well, basically narratives that claim to know things about the world. Indeed, all things about the world. They even claim to know how things will be. So, think religions, for example, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. They all have origin stories, descriptions for how life is, how life should be, and they all even describe the end of life. Marxism is a similar meta narrative. It describes all human interactions and all world history through a narrative and an analysis of class warfare and class oppression. It even has an end story. That one day, the lowest of all classes, the proletariat will rise up and, well, overthrow the bourgeoisie for all of us. But postmodernism is, in and of itself, a meta-narrative. It describes society as created of hierarchies determined by language and the power that language has. It describes a class of the powerful and a class of the powerless, oppressors and the oppressed. It has no end story because it believes it will go on like this forever. But it is a meta narrative, so postmodernism should reject itself. And if they believe that objectivity isn't possible, how can they possibly objectively claim that objectivity doesn't exist? So there is no objective truth except my subjective truth. The idea isn't that good. It does fall flat on its face after some careful consideration. But some of its ideas have found their way into the mainstream and into academia, and they've gained traction, they've gotten into the real world. Especially this idea that Foucault had of disruption. So you see, language carries power, it creates systems of power. How do you disrupt it? Well, by disrupting language, by disrupting science, by disrupting the discourses. And this is obviously catastrophic. So that was that for our first episode. And well, I hope that you enjoyed our brief retelling. Well, we tried to keep it brief. Small retelling of of postmodernism and its beginnings. From now on, we'll be looking at the applied branches of postmodernism a bit more in depth. For example... Well, gender studies, queer theory, intersectional feminism, and all of these ideas that have gained a lot of traction in recent years that under the guise of kindness, equality and progress can end up causing a lot of damage, in particular damage to the people they claim they want to protect. So, well, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.